0: Well, Merry Christmas Eve. I am so glad you're joining us this evening for what's going to be a very special service. We're wrapping up this series uh, that I started at the 1st of December, looking at the minor characters in the Christmas story. And I'm hoping by now you're realizing how important minor characters really are. They they help to amplify, they help to illuminate the Christmas story in ways unlike we're used to seeing it. And today's message is no different. We're gonna be talking about the innkeeper in the Bethlehem story. So as we get started, just join me right now for a word of prayer. Father, I'm so grateful. I am truly grateful for how you've been meeting me as I have looked in new ways with fresh eyes at the Christmas story through the lens of these minor characters that surround the Holy Family. I thank you, God, for helping us zero in on the meaning of Christmas. And I believe tonight in this short message that you're going to do the same thing. So have complete freedom in our time together to do in our hearts and minds and our lives the things that need to be done. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Let me begin by reading this passage in Luke. It says, so Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and line of David. He went there to register with Mary who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. While they were there the time came for the baby to be born and she gave birth to her firstborn a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. You know perhaps there's there's no word in the gospel story so clear and so descriptive of the whole ministry of Jesus than these short cryptic words in Luke there was no room in the end. I mean, when you think about it, there's an appropriateness in those words because they describe everything that was to follow. Jesus began his life by being pushed out, and that pattern never ended. It was true throughout his ministry, and sadly, it's been true throughout history. So the story of a child born in a barn is one of the most familiar in all literature. It's told in more homes and more languages than any other story ever penned. And Bethlehem's inn has become the most famous of all hostels, not because of what happened there, but because of what might've happened, but didn't. The inn has become a symbol for the human heart. Why is life so much like the inn? Why is there no room in it for Jesus? Why did he begin his life in a cow shed and laid in a feeding trough for a bed? And what do we know about the innkeeper? I mean, really the Bible tells us nothing. The innkeeper is never even mentioned by name. We know that Jesus was born in a stable only because he was laid in a cattle trough, and we know that he was born there because there was no room in the inn. So Joseph must have checked about a room. Someone must have told him no, and we call that person the innkeeper. The innkeeper intrigues us because his or her decision is really pivotal to the story. It's the decision that sets up Jesus' birth in a cattle stall rather than a warm, cozy bedroom. So we want to know what kind of innkeeper was this. I mean, were they a Conrad Hilton type, you know, wealthy and successful with a chain of luxury inns all across the Holy Land? Or they were more of a a Tom Beaudet, you know, with Motel 6, where they always leave the light on for you. Was it a nice inn? Or was it something more akin to a boarding house? or a good case could be made that it was actually just a spare room in someone's private home? There's so many unanswered questions. Was there really no room in the inn, or just no room for poor people like Mary and Joseph? Was the innkeeper kind and sympathetic or cold and unfeeling? Was the stable offered out of concern for the couple because something's better than nothing? Or was it offered out of a desire to make a few extra bucks off these desperate strangers? The fact is, we know nothing about the innkeeper or their motivation, but it does make us wonder, if they knew who this was, would they have made the same decision? It reminds me of something Bob Goff once said, Later in his life, I bet the innkeeper wished he'd made more room than he thought he had for Jesus. Me too. So let's begin with a simple question. Why do so many... Miss Christmas. One reason this story seems to suggest is preoccupation. Certainly the most obvious reason why there was no room in the inn is simply because all the other rooms were occupied. Those who had arrived before the Holy Family had already settled in for the night. Every space was accounted for. You might even feel some sympathy for the innkeeper. He wasn't necessarily a mean man. There's nothing to suggest he possessed any ill will toward Joseph and Mary— He's running a place of lodging, a place of business. He's in the business of renting out rooms. Others got there first, and there's no room left, and that was that. But that's also the very reason why Jesus gets shut out of so many hearts today. Preoccupation. Priority. Other things got there first. We're not trying to be irreligious. We have no ill will toward Jesus. It's just that we've filled up all the spaces of our life with other matters, what we believe to be more pressing and important matters. Our business, our social life, our responsibilities. My life is full. There's just no more room. Max Lucado said it like this. The mother and father of our Lord were pushed out and rejected. Even before he was born, our Lord was rejected and turned away. The words, no room for you, followed him throughout his life. There was just no room for him anywhere. It's the same in the lives of so many people today. He's still being crowded out. With all the festivities and all the busyness, he's often just an afterthought. Instead of a place of honor at this time of the year, Christ is shoved off into the corner. Even today, there's no room for Jesus. You know, sometimes we can even become so preoccupied with ourselves that we miss Christmas altogether. You know, it's been six years since I last shared this story with you, so some of you are going to remember it. But it was about a time in my life when I was spending a Christmas in Nashville alone while I was in college. Uh, My boss at the grocery store where I work made me work Christmas Eve and wanted me back to work the day after Christmas. So there was simply no way for me to drive to northern Virginia where my mom lived and then get back to Nashville the day after Christmas. Besides having to work, my parents had just divorced. I hadn't heard anything from my dad in months since he left my mom for another woman. And you got to know something. My, my dad and I, we used to talk all the time. I felt completely and totally abandoned by my father. It was most likely the shame that motivated him to break off contact with me. But regardless of the reason, I felt like he didn't just leave mom. I felt like he left me too. So mom was living alone in an apartment in Springfield, Virginia. It it didn't seem right. It wasn't fair. And I was feeling incredibly lonely and honestly indulging in self-pity and really making myself totally miserable by staying fixated on all the negative things that were happening in my life. So on Christmas Day, I decided to go to Shoney's out on Murfreesboro Road in South Nashville. It was the only place that I could find that was open on Christmas Day. I sat at the counter all by myself. Now you got to understand at this point my inner dialogue was really quite toxic. I mean, I'd been stewing on these thoughts all day long, so by the time I sat down at that counter, I started saying to myself, you know, here I am, all alone with all the other losers in Loserville here at Shoney's. I have to work, I'm eating a stinking hamburger for Christmas. My dad and my 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 dad has abandoned me, my mom's trying to find her way, my my Christmas is never going to be the same. Now, let me let you in on some delusional thinking that lonely people go through. We think the more depressed and lonely we appear, the more others will rally around us. Let me tell you something. It doesn't work that way. The truth is, the lonelier you act, the lonelier you'll be. But God was about to interrupt and ruin my perfectly good pity party. As I sat there on my stool at the counter, making myself miserable, drowning my sorrows in a burger and a Coke— I heard God say to me as clearly as he's ever said anything to me, Keith, today is not your birthday. You see, I had become so self-absorbed, so engaged in my own pity party that I'd forgotten what Christmas was about. Christmas is all about God with us. Christmas is all about Jesus. And somehow that simple thought planted in my head shifted me out of that downward spiral and I realized how much I was making Christmas about me and my misery instead of Christ breaking into my misery. In that moment, a smile returned to my face, and I walked out of Shoney's with a spring in my step and saying, Merry Christmas to everyone I came across. Bottom line, I was allowing my preoccupation with the sad realities of my present situation to crowd Jesus out, to forget what Christmas is really about. What I'm saying is it's not just busyness or prioritizing other things that can crowd Jesus out. We can also become so preoccupied with our own needs that we miss out on Christmas altogether. But keep this in mind, regardless of how legitimate those concerns might be, preoccupation with yourself will have the same effect as it did in the first Christmas story. It will crowd Jesus out because there's simply not enough room for him and what preoccupies your life. But there's another reason we miss out on Christmas, and it's insensitivity. You know, I thought this was a hilarious story. This, this man goes into a hotel, and he asks the clerk for a room. And the clerk said, sorry, sir, we're all full. We don't have any more rooms. So the man said, well, let me ask you a question. If the president of the United States were to come in right now and ask you for a room, would you have one for him? And the clerk said, why, yes, of course we would. And the man said, well, he's not coming, so I'll take that room. You know in a funny way that story actually illustrates the problem that happened that night when Joseph and Mary came knocking at that door of the inn. Nobody there recognized the importance of the moment. No one understood who Jesus was. No one was sensitive enough to pick on pick up on who it was who was standing out in the cold seeking shelter for the night. If that innkeeper had known the identity of his guest, If he had known that that child born that night would split history into B.C. and A.D., and that for centuries to come, the world would date all of its letters, all of its important business, all of its events in relation to that silent night, you can be sure that Jesus would not have been born in a stable. He would have made room in the inn and welcomed this family as honored guests. The innkeeper just didn't know just like we never know when God comes knocking on our door because we simply don't recognize him. You see, some of you are absolutely convinced that God doesn't care about you, that that he takes no special interest in what you're going through. You feel like he's a million miles away, but I'm telling you, he could show up on your doorstep tomorrow and you might not even recognize him. That's because we expect greatness to come in a form that's easy to recognize, just like that innkeeper did that night. We think that God will be impressive when he comes knocking on our door But God seldom is. Folks, you can mark it down. God's ways are not our ways. When God comes, he chooses a barn and straw, a peasant and a donkey, a pregnant woman and a small hotel in a sleepy little town, off the main routes of commerce and in the pre-industrial age. Who would ever recognize God coming in circumstances like that? And how often do we miss God? Simply because we don't understand true greatness. The cry of a baby in a feeding trough. Who but God would have thought of that to grab hold of the human heart? But the lowly things are often holy things. And when you think about it, I mean, almost every great thing that we know of has come that way. Born in a sorry place, often rejected, and shut out with only a few wise men with discernment enough to see what's really going on. We need to be trained to recognize the godlike when it comes knocking on our door. The final reason we miss out on Christmas inhospitality. Now, I don't know what it would take to have turned away an expected mother, but the one word that does come to mind is inhospitality. Now, before we get too judgmental, remember how easy it is we do the same thing with the needs that surround us every day. We've learned to turn a blind eye to beggars on the corner, to turn away from situations that appear overly needy. We even make excuses for ourselves. It's not my problem. Donald Wildman said it perfectly. He said, no, we don't spit in his face. We don't stab a sword into his side. We don't stand and mock him. We don't do any of those things. We simply ignore him. That's it, isn't it? I mean, we haven't turned against him. We we bear no ill will toward Jesus. Just for the most part, we ignore him and the desperate need, just like the first century innkeeper. You know, it was the late David Roberts who said that if he could have personally anticipated Bethlehem, his first temptation would have been to cry out this to Jesus, O oh, gentle son of God, don't come here. Don't come into such a world. This is no place for you. This is no place for someone who cares nothing for money, prestige, or power. You don't fit in here. It will destroy you. This kind of world will crush you, break your heart. Don't come. You don't belong. But then Roberts went on to say that on second thought, as the years roll by, we can't get rid of the haunting realization that Christ is the only one who truly belongs. We're the misfits whose ugly passions and unholy lives are out of touch with reality. We're the strange ones with distorted images of what humanity was meant to be. You see, the light of Christ is the real thing, and we have to make room for it in our business, in our politics in our education, in our homes, and in our personal lives. And we must do it soon. You know, Thomas Merton once described the world that Jesus entered as the demented inn that held no room for him at all. So since Jesus has no place in the demented inn, where does he find his place? Well, Merton answered that question. He said, his place is with those others for whom there is no room. His place is with those who do not belong, those who are rejected by power because they are regarded as weak, those who are discredited, and those who are denied the status of persons, tortured, exterminated. With those for whom there is no room, Christ is present in this world. That is so well said, and exactly what the Gospels teach. Jesus finds his place among the weak, the lowly, the discarded, and the rejected. For those like him who are put out and not accepted in this world, he makes his home with us. And that leads to this final thought. We will never find room. We have to make room. You know, the innkeeper calls to our intention the importance of opening the door when the knock comes. And that opportunity is here and now. What are we going to do with that opportunity? Just keep doing Christmas the way we've always done it? Or are we going to make room for Jesus? So the question is, when God knocks, how will you answer? Well, let me wrap up with this true story. I want to introduce to you a guy named Wallace Perling, or as everyone else knew him, Wally. So when Wally was just nine years old, he lived not far from Atlanta, Georgia. Even though he was only nine, he was still in the second grade, when he really should have been like in the fourth grade. But Wally was slow and had difficulty keeping up. Today, we would describe him him as developmentally delayed. He was a big kid and a little clumsy, but he was well-liked by all the other kids in his class, all of whom were much smaller than he was. But Wally was a a gentle giant, if you will. He was a loving soul. Every year, the town where Wally lived put on a big Christmas pageant. More than anything, Wally really wanted to be one of the shepherds in the pageant. But the shepherds, they had large speaking parts, and Wally just couldn't remember all those lines. So they made Wally the innkeeper because the innkeeper only had one line, no room. The teacher said to him, Now, Wally, when you say your line, you've got to be stern and tough. So Wally Purling practiced and practiced. The night of the pageant finally arrived. Then came the moment in the performance when Mary and Joseph stood at the door of the inn, and they knocked. Wally came out, walking as tough as he knew how to walk. Joseph said, My wife, Mary, is about to give birth, and we need a room for the night. Then Wally said his one and only line, no room. So as Joseph put his arm around Mary and she laid his head on his shoulder, the two of them then turned to walk away, looking very sad. But Wally, the innkeeper, just couldn't follow the script any longer. He didn't go back inside and close the door like he was supposed to do. He just stood there in the doorway, watching as this couple walked away, his lips quivering and tears streaming down his face. Then suddenly the Christmas pageant took a completely different turn when Wally cried out, don't go, Joseph, bring Mary back. I'm supposed to say no room, but you can have my room. Of course, some people in the audience thought the pageant had been ruined, but most everyone else felt like it was the most meaningful and heartwarming Christmas pageant they had ever seen. Wally helped to underscore the most important takeaway from Luke's conclusion of the innkeeper in the Christmas story, and it's this. Each of us is an innkeeper who decides if there's room for Jesus. You see, Wally got the message. And it's really why I believe the story of the innkeeper is included in the Gospels. It's because this story has been repeated in every generation and is still being repeated today. Christ is showing up at our heart's door, and he wants to know, will you make room for him? I told you right up front, the innkeeper, never identified by name, nationality, or even gender. I wonder if it's because you and I are actually the innkeeper and we get to make the decision of whether there's room for Jesus. I've made room for him. I hope you will too. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you for this story, this obscure little story in the narrative of the birth of Christ about an innkeeper, about an inn for which there was no room for the Holy Family. We might not ever know any more than just that simple detail, but that's enough. And we need the wallies of this world who will teach us what it really means. And that is that you and I, we have a choice in whether or not we're going to make room for Jesus, because you see, there's always our room to give. And Lord, that's what I did a long time ago when I surrendered my life to you. And it's what I keep on doing every day. I continue to surrender and say, I want to make room for you, Jesus. I want to make room for you in this problem, in this, in this uh, challenge that I'm facing, in my job, in my marriage, raising my kids, in my political views, in how I conduct my business. I want to make room for Jesus because, Jesus, it's your way, it's your love, it's your life that really matters to me, and I just want to do it your way. So, Jesus, be central to all of our Christmases today. Whatever it is that we might find ourselves preoccupied with in this moment, I pray, God, that that would just move to the wayside as we understand where our hope lies, where our strength is, where we have our healing, and it's all in you. Help, help us to celebrate, God, you entering into our brokenness brokenness, and finding a place for all of us who feel left out, for all of us who've experienced abandonment, for all of us who really are just hungry and thirsty to be loved. Jesus, that's your message to us in the innkeeper. So I pray today that everyone who's hearing me now will make room for you in their life and say, Jesus, I don't necessarily understand it all, but I do know this. I want you at the center of my life, and I want you to have the room that I have reserved for myself. Take that place live in me, work in me, heal me, show me your way. I want to follow you with all of my being. I pray it in Jesus' name, amen. God bless you all and have a very Merry Christmas.